Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast of your Miami Dolphins. I am Sam Marcoux. He is Chris Colin, and we have been everywhere but Perfectville for the last couple of weeks. Here, there, and everywhere. Up, down, left, right, east, west, north, south. Chris Colin, how are you? Where are you today? Oh, I'm home, thank God. And honestly, kudos to you. I can't believe you even remember my name. It's been so long, but it's great to be back, man. Well, I had to write it down on my hand just to make sure I knew exactly who it was I was talking Chris to. Chris Kulain? Yeah, there's uh, something in there about uh, Lloyd. I'm not sure. But uh. Uh, everyone thinks that, you know, hey, they must be working. Sam was on a mini tour. Chris is uh, all over the United States doing work. No, that's not the case. We were doing research for this very episode. We did three weeks of extensive research uh, on our episode here of Perfectville about the front office. Were we not, Chris? Yeah, hit the road with a Bear Bryant hat and a briefcase and went and had some uh, deep down dive meetings with Chris Greer's former prom date from uh, 11th grade. Got some good information on him and uh, met with Mike Tannenbaum's stepmom up in uh, East Hamptons in New York and had some great goulash. And she, she's, a, she's a wonderful lady, wonderful lady and um, definitely, definitely has her smile. It's weird. You know, Mike Tannenbaum looks like he's the kind of guy that would eat goulash. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. a good call. Oh, yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's like Chris Berman's less famous and not famous brother yeah he still looks like the guy that has underwear that's barely hanging on to the to the ratty ass side you know what i mean like he's got this power business suit on yet he's still wearing uh hanes from 1987 like completely totally the sole reason they're still in business yeah that's it he keeps ordering like special order from amazon.com like you got any more of them hanes but, Feels uh, really good on my grundle. That's actually why we traded for William Haynes last year. Is that he actually he thought it was the underwear guy, but it turned out it was the it was the flat earther. So it didn't. Uh, that's why no, we dinosaurs didn't exist, but mermaids did. Yeah, yeah that's like, the dolphins. Of course, we traded for that like, guy. What do you mean? There's no N in his last name. I screwed up. Yeah, send him back. Yeah. Well, speaking of screwing up, uh, why don't we start with Mike Tannenbaum? We are talking about the front office here. And, uh, you know, overall, Mike Tannenbaum, if I told you, Chris, that he started with the Jets in 1997 and he became the GM of the New York Jets in 2006, that's pretty much when we became aware of him. How old did you think or would you think Mike Tannenbaum was based on your uh, recollection of what he looked like back in 2006? 50? Yeah, 52? so he looks like he was about 50 years old, 52 years old back in 2006 when he started with the Jets. And I was thinking the same thing, Chris. So I'm like, God, how old is this guy? Because it's been at least a decade since then. Um, I looked it up. He here in 2018 is 49 years old. Get the fuck out of here. He's 49 I, now, not back then. No, I, he exactly. He's the guy <laughs> who's 49 right now, but looked like he was 49 back then. Um, he's probably looked the same way since middle school, is my opinion. <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, and you would think, uh, given the fact that when he started with the Jets, no wonder he fucked up the Jets. He was 13 years old when he started there. <laughs> um, it's just like, fuck it. That guy looks cool. He bench presses a lot. Draft Vernon Golston. Yeah. That guy's wearing underwear older than my dad. He, he knows what he's doing. Um, no, that guy. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Mike Tannenbaum is the VP of football operations for the Miami Dolphins. I, I don't know if he's necessarily the guy that makes all the decisions. I still think that kind of comes and goes with Adam Gase. I think Chris Greer is somewhat of a guy who, you know, is told, hey, this is the way we're going. Make the numbers work. Make this happen. And Stephen Ross is the guy who cuts the checks. But uh, Mike Tannenbaum uh, does have some say. Uh, you know, he, he has the ear of Stephen Ross, and that's saying a lot because if you have the ear of Stephen Ross, you have a lot of ear. Um, Life raft. 
Yeah, I mean, you could just rip that thing off and, and float off the Titanic, which is uh, kind of what the Miami Dolphins seem like they are right now. But it, Mike Tannenbaum, to me, Chris, he, he runs the Miami Dolphins the way I used to play Madden. And I told you this off air. And, and what I mean by that is he seems to not really give a shit about the draft picks as much as he does the big name. Um, he's a guy that chases uh, stars. He chases headlines. And he's trying to make a splash year in, year out. And uh, I think he likes doing that by looking on – or looking over, I should say um, – the property line and seeing that the grass is greener in somebody else's territory. He seems to want to trade for a big name, sign a big name, and let our own players walk and not really give a shit about uh, draft picks as much as maybe uh, we would like him to. Uh, is that your assessment of him, or do you have got do you have a different take on him? No, completely spot on. He, he, he's one of those guys that um, it's like a dog chasing a car. He doesn't know what he's going to do once he gets it. He just I don't know if he looks at it with envy at other teams that are successful. And he's like, well, obviously we got to get players from that team because uh, they're always good and we're not. So we need to, who cares about the players on this team? We're not good with these guys. So let's go get Lawrence Timmons, even though the Steelers just let him walk. Um, it's like, we just have this thing where we outline and think back to three years ago when this guy dominated us and we think it's the same player, but I'm just so sick of trading for these guys like a Mike Wallace or, a, uh, Lawrence Timmons or now a Robert Quinn. And every time you do, you like go to the fan base on Reddit and you're like, all right, so what's up with this guy? Let me know, please, that you're really mad that you lost him. And they're just like, eh, we're going to cut him anyway. And you're just like, what the fuck? Why do we trade draft picks? Why do we keep doing this? He's just such an average, hot and cold. He does some good things, does some bad things. He's a quintessential 8-8 eight eight GM. And that completely proves and shows when we're 8-8 eight eight every season. Yeah, you hit it on the head right there. I mean, he, he seems to be like an 8-8 eight eight style GM. And um, I, I don't know if he – I'll put it this way. I don't think Mike Tannenbaum is the guy that when you add to your organization takes you to the next level. But I think he is a guy that when you add him to your organization can bring you down a level, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. And I don't think he's done that necessarily to the Miami Dolphins yet. Uh, but this Robert Quinn thing that you just alluded to, we just traded for Robert Quinn. We gave up draft picks. And I, you know, first my first reaction when I saw the news is, oh, cool, Robert Quinn. I know who that is. And then I started looking into it. I talked to a few fr- uh, Rams friends of mine who were like, yeah, you know, it's fine. We don't really care. Um, he's not the guy he used to be. He's often injured and he doesn't really fit our scheme. And it's kind of like, oh. All right, well, they're not even really that upset about losing a guy who I thought was somewhat of a stalwart on their defense, and maybe he works out with the Miami Dolphins, but then again, maybe not. And that's kind of what I mean about Mike Tannenbaum is he seems to want to go chase those sexy names, the names that are out there, uh, names that maybe he didn't get to draft a couple of years ago that he had on his big draft board. And uh, I don't know if that's the right approach for the Miami Dolphins going forward. We always say we value draft picks. We want to hold on to our own. We want to develop our own players because that's the way to win consistently. Uh, Yet we take a completely different approach every single offseason, it seems. Like you said, uh, Lawrence Timmons, Mike Wallace, Brandon Marshall, um, any of those guys. I mean, you can go back to even Junior Seau, which predates, obviously, any of the regime here today. But we we chase names. We're name chasers. We're star fuckers here in Miami. Yeah, we're we're South Beach and we want a big star-studded lineup and it just isn't paying off for us and it's obviously the wrong way to build a franchise. Other teams are just not doing that. And you it's almost like you know that guy everybody has that friend that like dates anybody that just like looks at him or talks to him even if it's not his type, it's not even like a pretty girl. He just will date her and say yes because um he just can't say no. Like Mike Tannenbaum, I think the whole league knows by now that if like you just have anybody to trade and they're a name, they're a former first-round pick, even if it was in 2012 or 13, 
you call Mike Tannenbaum, he's going to just be itching at the neck like the Rams called. Hey, man, we got Robert Quinn on the block, and I hear the Browns want to trade for him. I wanted to get your opinion first before we pulled the trigger. And he looks at his depth chart, and he's like, Cam Wake, we just drafted Charles Harris in the first round last year. We should probably develop him. And Dominican Sue, two draft picks, a defensive tackle with Jordan Phillips. Fuck it. Yeah, fourth-round pick. Here you go. It's like, what? Like, why would you do that? That's our deepest position on the field is defensive line. Like, go get linebackers. Go get corners. Go get uh, offensive linemen. Please, Christ, to go get somebody, anything. Instead, you're trading for a defensive end that plays the same exact spot that your first-round pick from last year plays. And it just is mind-boggling to me. And it was like a day after Adam Gase, like, totally was like, yeah, we He's, he's going to battle for a starting position at the Combine press conference about Charles Harris. And then Mike Tannenbaum goes and just completely – I don't know about you, Sam, but if my job uh, went and hired somebody with the same position as me uh, that has some uh, tenure in veteran leadership and, and you're going to pay him $11 million, I wouldn't feel that secure about my position and playing time. I don't know no, about you. No, I think you're right, especially if uh, you're not getting paid $11 million yourself in the, in the process. But Mike Tannenbaum to me seems like the kind of guy that would franchise tag Jarvis Landry – uh, out of spite and not to sign because he doesn't want to sign him yet would trade two first rounders to get a franchise Jarvis Landry to the Miami Dolphins. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that he, he would rather pay the penance of two draft picks, first round draft picks to sign a franchise style wide receiver uh, versus paying that wide receiver who we developed in house. I, I, hopefully people are following my logic there. Uh, and if you are, uh, you obviously are aware that Jarvis Landry was hit with the franchise tag by this front office uh, one year, $16 million. Uh, he is planning on, if he hasn't already, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, he is planning on signing that tender. Uh, so he will be under contract for the Miami Dolphins for a year. However, he, he very well could be traded still because the Miami Dolphins uh, let Jarvis Landry and his agent know, feel free to go out and make your own deal. If you can go find a deal somewhere else and we can broker a trade, we will do that. And uh, it's a sad day because I think what this tells me, Chris, is that Jarvis Landry and the Miami Dolphins are uh, on their way to Splitsville. Yeah, and since this entire episode is on the front office, they deserve the blame for this. So you want to give them like a show us what you got type one year opportunity during a contract year for the type of guy that Jarvis Landry is. You just knew he was going to go out and ball, man. We talked about this before the season that if they weren't going to uh, long-term deal him and Jarvis came out and said, if I don't get a contract by the season, I'm not going to negotiate. Like I'm playing football. That's my job. I'm not negotiating. We'll wait till the off season. And they just like took that risk. I don't know what they're waiting for. If they're waiting to see Jarvis Landry turning into something he wasn't, we know exactly what Jarvis Landry is. And we knew from the second we spent a second round pick to draft him, he's going to fight for yards. He's going to have a lot of catches, low volume in, in, in yards per catch and get a decent amount of touchdowns, but he's going to be the lifeblood of your team. He's going to be fiery. He's going to get in guys faces. He's going to pump you up. He's going to fight for everything to get a first down. That's that's the bulldog mentality. You knew it from the beginning. That's what you have. He wasn't going to get any better. He wasn't going to get any worse. And if, if anything, he's just going to play a little bit harder if you're telling him that you got to go prove it before we give you a contract. And it, we completely bit ourselves in the ass. And now we're going to sit here and where I will give the credit to the front office are kind of in a bind. They had to do this. They had to franchise him. They had to let him go see what his price is on the free agent market, see if it matches what they – um, are turning down or if Jarvis is going to get what he 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 treasures and it's a big contract. But you can't hate on the franchise if Jarvis Landry's wanting $17, $18 million a year. That's just too much money for him. And it's just one of those things where you're going to hate on him if they pay that much money with Sue, with Tannehill, with these guys already under contract. And you're going to hate him if you let him walk and only get a second or third round pick. It, it, it's kind of – 
we've talked about this before, but free agency, it's a two-way street. He's got to want to sign. they got to want to pay the money. And Adam Gase said it at the press conference at the Combine. Of course, we want Jarvis Landry back if it works for us. And I think that spoke volumes. Well, and, and here's a couple things on Jarvis Landry. You know, we're giving him a one-year, quote-unquote, prove-it deal for $16 million. I wish somebody out there would yeah. give me $16 million to prove my worth because that's, uh, that's a hard thing to be complaining about, I guess, if you're Jarvis Landry. However, um, I kind of feel like last year was the prove-it year, Chris. I mean, the quarterback went down. They told him, play out the season, and we'll take care of you if you do what you're supposed to do, a la Rashad Jones. Um, he had Jay Cutler throwing to him. He had a career high in touchdowns. He led the league in receptions. I kind of feel like he's proven it, like you said. I mean, he, yeah. he is the NFL's all-time leader after four seasons of catches. Uh, the guy is going to get paid one way or the other. Whether he gets paid $16 million, $15 million, $17 million, I'm not sure. Uh, but you're right. It, it's one of those things where it's like, man, <clears throat> if they trade him for anything less than a first-round net pick or a first-round type player, it's a failure by the front office uh, to capitalize on a talent who has proven himself to be beyond the second round draft pick that you invested in him way back when. If they sign him for something other than $16 million a season, which is even high, um, you know, higher than what I think, it's probably going to be viewed as a failure because people are going to say, why are you paying $16 million a year long term for a slot receiver who can't even, you know, get more than nine yards per catch? So ideally, they're going to have to try to get him for 13 or $14 million or trade him for a top notch player or at least one first round draft pick to save face with the front uh, uh, with the with the office. Or, I'm sorry, with the fan base, because otherwise the front office is going to get burned alive uh, by these fans who have expectations of getting back to the playoffs, especially with uh, a quarterback coming back that uh, in Ryan Tannehill. So, I, like you said, they're in a bind. They're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. I hope this works out for everyone because if not, this is going to be one of those pieces that everyone's going to point to at the end of next season if it isn't a success and say, see, this is where you fucked up. You went out, you tried to go get uh, the big sexy player from other teams and you couldn't hang on to the big sexy player from your team or you overpaid to hang on to your own player. You guys don't know what you're doing. I can see Jarvis Landry throwing his hands in the air and tossing his phone across the living room under the couch and just uttering, what the fuck, as they pay Andre Branch, as they pay Kenny Stills, as they pay Robert Quinn, who wasn't even on their team. And he's sitting here like, and you can't scrape up two, three million dollars a year for me? Like the guy that just busting his ass, I'm never injured. I'm always fighting for yards. I'm always fighting for my teammates. I'm always doing the right things off the field. And you could don't you can't scrape up that money for me. Like you must not appreciate what I bring to this team. And I can see it's to the point now where the Miami Dolphins could just call right now, tail between their legs, say, you know what, Jarvis, Jarvis, we fucked up, sixteen million a year, let's get it done. He'd be like, you know, fuck you. In fact, I'm gonna go sign with the Ravens for fourteen million dollars a year just so I can stick it to your ass every single year. He's at that point now. It's like poisonous now. It's toxic. If you watch that video that his agent or whoever released about his family and his his mom and taking care of his family, like he's completely gone. Like he's completely gone from the Dolphins. Like I cannot see this bridge being mended. Uh, crazier things have happened in sports and in entertainment, of course. But man, I just don't see this being mended. I have completely already accepted in my brain and prepared myself to see Jarvis Landry number fourteen doing his patented first down celebration for another team next year uh, as the the rock band the hive said so many years ago i hate to say i told you so but uh i i, I told you so i told everyone so i could see the writing on the wall a couple of years ago when adam gase came in that he doesn't seem to like jarvis landry and i don't think jarvis landry seems to like adam gase or this front office and uh, unfortunately i'm hoping i'm wrong but unfortunately it looks like 
what you and I talked about a couple of years ago, Chris, that the divorce of the Jarvis Landry and the Miami Dolphins is not going to be an amicable one. Uh, this is something Hold that's on. going to get ugly. You're, you're, yeah, you're giving yourself a little bit too less of credit. You totally fucking hit the nail on the head on this one. And honestly, I think other than you and Adam Gase, uh, no one knew what you're talking about because I think you totally nailed it. You said, and you can go back and listen to our archives, not only if or when Jarvis Landry leaves the Miami Dolphins, it is not going to be in a professional shake hands, we wish him well in his future endeavors type deal. It's going to be ugly. And you called it way back then just based on body language on the sideline, things that Adam Gates were saying in the offseason. And Sam, honestly, the writing might have been on the wall and you're the only one that saw it. Why go out and trade up and draft a Leonte Crew? Why? And why sit them on the bench? It's almost like they saw the writing on the wall themselves, and they knew this was going to come to blows, and they weren't willing to pay the big money for them, and they just feel confident enough to let them walk, that they're going to have the pieces behind them with Grant and crew. Maybe both of them can match or come close to his production, and they're just not going to pay him. And honestly, you deserve props because that was a huge call. I remember it being very controversial at the time, guys tweeting about it, like, oh, my God, Adam Gay said he loves them. Why would you get rid of a guy like that? They're going to resign him, and you're just like, no, no, no. The way the type of player that Jarvis is, the type of diva personality he has, if and when this ends, it's going to be gross. Yeah, and you know, and, and I didn't really have any major insight. I, I do know some people that are close to Adam Gase, but they didn't tell me anything. Um, I could just tell based on how they interact with one another that they aren't necessarily the best of friends. As I've said even recently, I think those two guys, meaning Adam Gase and Jarvis Landry, um, they go out to different clubs at night, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, those guys aren't necessarily on the same page all the time. I think they tolerate each other because they knew it was mutually beneficial for their professional careers. Uh, but now that the team uh, had the bottom fall out last year and Jarvis Landry's asking for the moon and Adam Case is saying, I'm going to give you moon rocks, uh, I don't think they necessarily need to be around each other anymore. And I think, unfortunately, that's what's going to end up happening. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing long-term for the Miami Dolphins and the fan base, I do not know. I, I am not that smart to see that far into the future, other than I do know I'm a Jarvis Landry fan, and I want him on the team. I think he makes the team better. Uh, I think with all the good that he brings, you're going to have to accept a little bit of that bad. Uh, and I'm not sure if the front office is willing to do that. And since we're talking about the front office, I do want to talk about Chris Greer. Uh, as you had mentioned, you, you talked to his prom date in ninth grade Um, and and I'm pretty sure he probably was doing her finances as well as he is for the Miami Dolphins because I don't know what Chris Greer is actually doing other than I know he used to be a scout so I don't know if he's more heavily involved when it comes to the drafting process Chris or uh, what are your thoughts on Chris Greer I kind of feel like it's incomplete from my point of view yeah, Tiffany, she she had a Cuban sandwich. It was she said it was delicious. So it was, it was a great little diner out there. Um, but she had great things to say about Chris Greer. Um, she didn't get into too much of what he did because she didn't know either. Um, and I think it's a big <laughs> mystery, big mystery box man with Chris Greer. I just feel like Mike Tannenbaum and Stephen Ross wanted to bring somebody in to maybe do the uh, the dirty work, go out there and scout and like kind of bring them the. Bring them the meat and potatoes and tell, give them the green light or red light if this is somebody we should go with or go after. Um, but being the general manager of sorts, but when you have a vice president of football operations and Adam Gase has his hand in the pot, there's just like a lot of guys in the kitchen. And uh, there's going to be those things that happen. I just don't um, – I, I don't know. I just don't get uh, what Chris Greer really truly does um, at all. Not, honestly, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's kind of one of those weird things, man. The Miami Dolphins always have so much – 
mystery, as you said, or, you know, there's so much cloudiness when it comes to the structure of the front office. So Mike Tannenbaum is technically the boss uh, of everyone other than Stephen Ross. Um, And then you have Chris Greer, who is the general manager. And then you have Adam Gase, who is the head coach. But we all know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that Adam Gase is the guy who is saying, I want this player. I don't want this player. Get rid of this guy. Go get me this guy. Uh, He's the one hiring his coaching staff, obviously. And he is the one that has a huge say, probably more so than even Chris Greer or Mike Tannenbaum on who is on his roster. Um, So even though we have a VP of football operations, and I think Mike Tannenbaum does have a large say in this whole thing, uh, and even though we have a GM, I do think that the face of this franchise and uh, the voice of this franchise and the guy who is guiding the franchise in terms of talent acquisitions and deletions is none other than our head coach, Adam Gase. Do you not think the same thing? It has to be. And and, and this kind of goes boils back down to our point that we've talked about ad nauseum before how I feel like Adam Gates is just wearing too many hats and it might be affecting his play calling or his head coaching abilities uh, because he's he's game planning to call an offense but he's also supposed to manage guys going to bed on time and travel and food and uh, also worrying about who's active on the roster and uh, signing and cutting guys in the free agency and the offseason. So he does seem to be involved. He did mention at his press conference at the Combine, it was pretty interesting actually because I've always thought that he was just like the the last straw that it goes to. Like Chris Greer, Mike Tannenbaum, Stephen Ross, and Gase all kind of converse and they talk about who, what they want to do, what direction they want to go in. But the, the thumbs up or thumbs down ends and starts with Adam Gase. However, in his press conference, he made it seem more like, yeah, they're having all these meetings and I, I like come in at the end and they just kind of tell me what's going on and we make a decision from there. So I don't know if he kind of delegates them to do, like we said with Chris Greer, the dirty work and find out things and they know what he's looking for. He kind of gives them a, a, a skeleton of the type of player type of thing that we're going after. We, we're going after X, Y and Z positions. And these are the type of guys within a, a contract range I want to go with an age range and you bring me a, a handful and I'll make the decision. I don't know. But I, I truly do believe, regardless of his comments at the combine, that this all ends and starts with Adam Gase. Yeah, Adam Gase spends a lot of time in Las Vegas, which means he's got a poker face. That guy's bullshitting. If you're going to tell me that he is not involved in the day-to-day process of picking and you know getting rid of players, I am going to call bullshit. And I'll tell you this right now. Last year, two days before we signed Jay Cutler, there's a pretty famous video that you can find online of fans talking to, to uh, Adam Gase and said, hey, are you going to sign Jay Cutler? And he said, no. We haven't even talked to him. Two days later, he was in practice. <laughs> I'm not going to be the head coach of Alabama. I don't know what you want, want me to tell you. Yeah, no, I don't think he's quite on uh, Nick Satan's level. But, I mean, he is, <laughs> oh, he is a guy. Oh, Saban lying. Yeah, but he is going to be one of those guys that isn't going to give you too much to the press. I think we found that out already. This guy is going to try to keep everything close to the vest. And I think you have to read uh, – I think more his more genuine reactions and responses are what you see on the sidelines. Um, you know, he does say some genuine things in press conferences from time to time when he needs to uh, address a certain situation. Uh, but when it comes to uh, his interactions with players, I think it's very interesting to see how he reacts to them on the sidelines. I think you get a nice input into what he thinks of certain players uh, versus others. Um, and oh, speaking, yeah. of the, speaking of the front office here, uh, we, we do have to talk about Stephen Ross because this is a guy, uh, he's been the owner of the Miami Dolphins for quite some time now. And I think when he first came on, he came on as a uh, minority owner and then eventually took over for Wayne Huizenga full-time. 
And I would say his first, I don't know, four or five years as owner of the Miami Dolphins were uh, suspect at best. I don't think anybody thought he knew what he was doing. I think he would probably admit that he didn't really know what he was doing. It was kind of on-the-job training, uh, all kinds of snafus from the Jim Harbaugh interview while he still had Tony Sperano under contract to having a Florida Gators Day in the stadium that he Mm. shares with the University of Miami uh, to having a bunch of celebrity uh, minority owners in the orange carpet and all that tackiness, just everything that he has done done um I, I must say this i think steven ross uh i don't know if there's been another owner in recent modern times that has come from seemingly nowhere that didn't really have any football ties and kept stepping on his own crank over and over and over again early to now becoming uh, a very well respected member of the ownership committee um he, he's very much um an outspoken critic at times uh, of the nfl and i think for the most part he is an owner that the fans of the Miami Dolphins respect now. Am I wrong? In, do I, am I reading that right or am I wrong on that? No, 180 degrees, I think the fan base has turned. Um, we'll get to what he said very most recently. Um, but other than that, this guy has totally turned around, and I respect him for it. I mean he, he went and put his own money after the uh, public voted down – yeah, uh, making upgrades to the stadium, and he said, "Fuck it, you're right." I mean, there's rumors of them moving the team, man. Do you remember that? There was like really solid rumors of the Miami Dolphins leaving Miami to possibly San Antonio, London. It was like these crazy rumors, and I was terrified, terrified it was going to happen. And he came out, put out his checkbook as he should, and and he said, "Fuck it, I'm 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 putting the money into the stadium so we can get Super Bowls here. It's going to help the economy. I'll, I'll take the bill, no problem. I got the tab." Um, that right there was huge. I thought that was awesome. He put the money back into the stadium. He's also been, and it's got to be hard to do, Sam. I, I mean, I couldn't. I guess I two points. I couldn't imagine being so rich that I can buy an NFL franchise. But I also couldn't imagine being so rich that I can buy an NFL franchise and really just stay the fuck out of it. Like I would feel like I have to control everything, like a Jerry Jones type, where he just seems to not meddle with anything. And now we don't know what he does. In, in, in the background, who knows if he's pulling puppet strings? I don't. I just don't feel like he is. He's hiring the guys that he truly believes and trusts uh, to do it, whether right or wrong, with the Mike Tannenbaums and such. But he he got it right with Adam Gase. Like he learned from his mistakes. He learned from his mistake with Joe Philbin. Uh, he seemed to listen to the people around him, listen to the fans, and he brought in a really young, strong mind. He basically did what everybody did last year a year early like he got Adam Gase and then everybody signed McVay uh, for the Rams and then these young coaches like uh, Mike Vrabel is getting a head coaching job when he's barely coached in the league Um, so he was a step ahead of everybody there and he does a lot of great things with the business interning with the players that that have them respect it and up until recently he's been very vocal and supportive of the players uh, having their own voice and having their own, own opinion He's defended Kenny Stills and the players and such, but uh, very recently he's come under fire for something. So I'm sure you want to touch on that. Well, we can definitely touch on that. And I think the reason Stephen Ross is able to stay away from the team physically is that his ears are so big that he can literally hear everything that's going on in Miami, even if he's in his penthouse in New York. So he really doesn't have to physically be there because he can just literally hear everything they're talking about. Um, now, Stephen Ross, you know, as you'd mentioned, uh, when we talk about, if you want to call it Kaepernicking or or taking a knee during the, the national anthem, he had said, hey, look, I'm not going to stop my players from doing this. He then came out and said, yeah, I, I, everyone's going going to stand uh, for the national anthem, which is a, a take that a lot of owners have taken. But he recently came out again here, Chris, and said, you know what, I'm walking that back a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm no longer 
demanding that from the players on the Miami Dolphins. So I, I, he, he seems to get it. He seems to be an owner that the players like playing for. And I think at this point, he's an owner that the fans are rooting for to win a championship for the Miami Dolphins because he seems to be doing uh, good things for the Miami. And, and you're right. I think when he ponied up and, and spent $500 million of his own money to renovate a stadium after the public said, no, we're not paying our money to fund your stadium, uh, that's when things really started to turn around for Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins fan base. Yeah, it showed that he he believed and trust in the team and in the city. And I think the team needed that, especially with the shit with the with the Miami Marlins and how they just really don't give a damn about the team. They have the public pay for their stadium and just fire sale everybody for the third time since they've been a franchise in 1993, a very, very young team. Uh, to have that happen three times, I've completely written off the Miami Marlins. I, I do not root for that team. I don't follow any of their news. I don't care if they uh, they win or lose. I, I don't even know what's happening. I honestly don't even know who their first baseman is. I, I just I I completely wrote them off. And if you know me personally and know me close, I was at the opening game in 1998 after we won the 97 World Series. I got a replica World Series ring. Like I have loved the Miami Marlins and been to hundreds of games in person. It took a lot for that to happen, but that's what they did. And and I think the Miami um, population really loved Stephen Ross for that. He really trusted and uh, put his money where his mouth is, where where, where it needs to be. And, and honestly, out of context, how he said our players will stand for the national anthem this year, I don't. He didn't come across like he was saying, "Oh, I told them they have to." He said, and it made it seem like his understanding was they're going to because now they're doing things. Uh, with philanthropy outside of the in the community, outside the team and off the field. Uh, and he's now since backtracked that and been like, hey, look, if they still want to, whatever. I just was under the impression they're not going to. I'm not going to force them to do anything. He's He's got his ear <laughs> to, to <laughs> pun intended. He's got his ear on the ground and he's, he hears the things around him and, and you got to give him props for it. Yeah, and we have our ears to the ground here in Perfectville. And as always, we are going to let you know if you give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they're known now, you are eligible for a free Perfectville Sip Sack Aronde Baxton koozie. That's right. All you got to do is give us a five-star rating and a review, and then give us your address, and we will ship this out in a matter of weeks. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Perfectville Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Perfectville Podcast. And you can check all of our archives on Welcome to Perfectville.com. Chris, the Finzies are coming. Episode 100 is coming. In fact, they're coming wow. at the same time, like a Jenna Jameson video in the 90s. <laughs> uh, the Finzies are here on episode 100. This is episode, I believe, 96, 97, something like that. So we are right around the corner. This is the awards season. The Grammys are happening. The Academy Awards, the Nickelodeon Kids Kids Choice Awards. None of those matter. They're all crap. The only thing that matters is the Finzies. Chris will be there. I will be be there we will be in a tuxedo jacket with no pants that's right we're kicking it old school chris anything you'd like to say before we get out of here on this episode of perfectville hey free agency starts in exactly one week from today it's going to be a lot of fun i'll be up late my <laughs> nipples are hard and my dick is soft my toes are tingling that had nothing to do with this episode. I have a medical condition. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Good luck with, with that, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> we will be back soon with a new episode of Perfectville before too long. I promise our traveling is over for now so we can get back on our high horse and thank ride God. through the center of town on Perfectville. And speaking of Chris, Perfectville, Chris, there's only one last thing to say, and that is goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Perfectville.
I'm too good to record my podcast. This will be the last email I ever send your racks. It's been two weeks and still no post. We don't deserve it. I know you're still alive. You've been tweeting from that perfect. So this is my email I'm sending you. I hope you read it. I'm at work right now on the information superhighway. Hey, Sam, I drank a pot of coffee. Should I have another cup? You know that song by Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up, about that guy who said he'd never run around and hurt you, but did because he stopped posting your favorite podcast? That's kind of how this is, although I may be remembering it wrong, but now it's too late. The caffeine's wearing off now. I'm drowsy. And all I wanted was a lousy podcast or a tweet. I hope you know I ripped all your bookmarks off IE. I love you, Sam. We all listen together. Think about it. You ruined it now. I hope you can't tweet and you scream about it. And when you scream, I hope you can't tweet so you record about it. I hope your followers don't follow you and you can't speak without me. See, Sam? Shut up, Chris. I'm trying to talk. Hey, Sam, that's your co-host screaming in the trunk, but I didn't give him dough. I just invited him over. See, I ain't like you. Because if he converses, I'll record it all. And then we'll post too. Well, gotta go. My lunch hour's almost up. Oh, shit. I forgot. I better go refill my cup. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.